Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Big Boss Battles, Big Boss Babble. Um, I'm here joined once again by Dan. Hello. And George. Hey, hey. Hey. Toby's not with us again this week for reasons unknown. We do know, we're just not going to tell you. Oh, you've given it away now, Dan. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) It's because he hates us. You fool. Well, that too. (laughs) Right, yeah. So... Not anything major has happened this week, really, that we can talk about for half an hour. So we're just going to ramble on about a few random little bits and bobs that we've we've seen. Uh, and then pretend week. it was deliberate. Yes, something like that. I, I, I got a good question. Go on. What is everyone playing this week? Uh, I'm going to be playing Disc Jam on the Switch. Because I, I have to. I'm legally obliged. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> No, it's, my, it's my next. It's my next review, but it's it's a game I've been looking forward to anyway. Because Wind Jammers on the Neo Geo was the mutts nuts, and <laughs> I rather enjoyed it. And I played the. I got into the beta of this jam on the PC and uh, played a few games online, and it was rather fun. So yeah, I'll be checking that out this week, and a review will be on the site soon. Oh, it looks interesting. I've been playing Monster Hunter, and it's very good. But this week, I will be playing more Dynasty Warriors 9. But I can't talk about it too much, because I don't know when the podcast is going out, and there's an embargo <laughs> on it. Uh, and I'll play some other games as well. I, I got Dungetris, Dun- Dungetris, Dungetris. That sounds is... like a game that's <laughs> like Tetris, but you build dungeons. Yes, oh, what awesome. it is, is in the game... <laughs> I was joking, but when it would carry on, sounds What cool. it is, is in the game, you build a dungeon like Tetris blocks, and then you go oh, around yeah. and explore it and fight the enemies that you've dropped in in the rooms. So you need to get a certain amount of objects or do a certain amount of things or level up a certain amount of times or get a... So it's an RPG, but you're building the dungeon by dropping these, these rooms in from above. And it's pretty cool, actually, to be honest with you. The the more time you spend faffing, dropping rooms in, trying to get the right combination, the harder the enemies get, and enemies start appearing if you take too long to do it. So it's pretty cool. That does sound rather interesting. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I also played... I played a little... Well, I played the demo of The Spy Who Shot Me, but you obviously already made comments on that one, Terry. Because it's the, that kind of 3D era. Yeah, see... Shooter. Now, people may already know from listening to on the podcast, I do like my incredibly retro stuff, but... No. Because, you know, because I've, I've start, I started almost from the beginning, sort of, you know, Atari sort of time and, and gone forward, up, you know, Atari, the 8-bit systems and the 16-bit systems, uh, very much my era... Uh, but early 3D, so PlayStation, Saturn, N64. Um, N64 stuff, I, I, I hate to just give it a pass because it is Nintendo, but it's Nintendo. They're kind of classic things. Um, but even so, in Nintendo, the graphics don't hold up. Good 2D graphics still work today and is absolutely gorgeous, but early, blocky 3D looks 
awful no matter how you slice it it was a big it was a big technology push forwards and that's the thing i mean you look yeah. at like early lara croft polygon lara croft and you look three, at three polygons per boob yeah, and you look at uh, <laughs> well anything from that era and i suppose the even if you look at kind of the start of the PS2 era, when people were focusing, I know I always use this example, but when people were focusing on graphics over gameplay and stuff, some of the games have aged really badly, like The Bouncer, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I, I I do agree on that point, but I think it's long enough ago, and I still have some fond memories of of other games that, that were there at the earlier stages of 3D that, yeah. that I can still play them and enjoy them. I but... think I think my problem is, and I've and I've done some experimentation with this, and uh, so my problem is with it now is if you try and play an old game, either through emulation if that's your thing or however you want to play it, it will look worse than you remember it. Yeah, simply because if you're playing it now, it's like you say on emulation, you're getting a perfect representation of what that game was pumping to the graphics chipset. Yep. Which was nothing. And it's blo- <laughs> and it's blocky and it's horrible and without that natural CRT blur, they look awful. That CRT blur, you know, covered up a lot of the imperfections in those games and made them bearable but you try and play them now with perfect crisp graphics it doesn't work and that's why i think a lot of these games like this game you you showed me they're going for that graphical style but because it is crisp and sharp and everything like that it looks worse than it should if you played it through a crt filter or managed to plug it into an old crtv in my opinion it would look better because it would cover up some of those imperfections that's fair. I mean, but they were also, <coughs> but they, they, sorry, but they did also struggle because, you know, there wasn't the power to do lots of stuff in depth as well. Like you play any of the 3D platformers of the era and the ground textures were terrible because it was literally just a continuous color dragged, you know. So there's that as well. Yeah, very true. If that makes sense. And so when you go back and look at them, when when you've been playing something like Skyrim or, or anything like that, really, where we game developers have got so much better at making busy and cluttered areas, you know, all of these things that were angular, stretched one colour or one texture for yards and yards or metres and metres do really stand out as odd. Yeah. I I will bring up something here that I think is an exception to the rule. And it was almost like they got, they kind of got they kind of got lightning in a bottle right right at the beginning. And that's games like Virtual Racing and the original Virtua Fire. You like they, that style. They still do look good because they are just there's no textures. It's flat. It's flat shaded polygons, and that, and I, I think in a way that makes it look cleaner, and it, it just seems to work better. Have you seen Racing Apex? Racing Apex? No, I have not. Okay, I probably just made up the name. No, I didn't. Okay, <laughs> yeah, look it up. 
like right now on the podcast, you you listening as well, you look it up too. Right. I apologise for my keyboard. So racing apex. See, now that looks the nuts. <laughs> yep. So see, I thought that, you might see, like that. See, now that works because because it is flat shaded. It's very angular and very clean, almost almost sterile in a way. There's no muddiness to any textures that would be there. It's just. Are, are we talking it's... about this game, by the way, Virtual Fighter? <laughs> Yes. I mean, woof. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I see what you've done there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for for those of you listening at home, uh, George has just posted a, a, a screenshot of Virtual Fire that makes it look incredibly bad. It's a Vakira winning, and he seems <laughs> to actually, rather than smiling, just be screaming. Yeah. As <laughs> as if he was a normal human being who has been. Horribly cursed by a wizard and turned into a polygon <laughs> style person, and is still, you know, is actually feeling the pain of having his body contorted and twisted into, yes. into this. Yeah, I, I but, just, I don't, I don't know if I agree with you on the fact that Virtual Fire looked good there. I think it looks kind of crap too. <laughs> well, Racing Apex looks good. I think I know, I think I knew what he meant, and in that by not loading those textures on, it. It kept a degree of style to it. And clarity. There's nothing to go muddy. It's just flat polygons. It's just coloured shapes at the end of the day rather than individual pixels that are getting morphed and distorted at different perspectives. Yes. It's just flat and works. That is a horrible picture, though. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But yeah, this Racing Apex looks good, Dan. Yeah. I should imagine that will probably be at one of those events that we're yes. attending uh, as well. I'll fill, I'll fill out the, re- the uh, request form later. I've played. Uh, I played some of it. I played some of it at Gamescom. Hang on, is there weapons in this? Yes, there's a weapon mode. So it's basically virtual racing mixed with Carmageddon. Yes, and he, you can customize every bit of your car, uh, and then you can have those bits shot off of the car. Uh, nice. in the in the finished project product, I don't know how far along it is now. It was, I won't say barely running because that's not fair, but it was running. But a lot of the stuff like uh, drifting and the car weights and stuff wasn't fully integrated when I when I played a little bit of it. Uh, I was also pretty rubbish at it, but, hmm. but that's fine. But then I trained up, and I, you know, I, I had some practice and and I. Because it, it, the the nearest game handling wise to compare it to is probably Daytona. Uh, and so I went and I trained and I learned and, and I got good at Daytona. So I now think that I'll probably do all right when the game turns up. But I was pretty terrible at it before. The boobs freak me out in this game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, luckily, it's a driving game. Yes, luckily. Yes, so you, you you don't have to like face them down or anything. <laughs> but yes, I absolutely suck at Daytona, so I'm going to suck <laughs> at this game. <laughs> That's fair. So anyway, George, as you started the question, what have you played this week? 
Oh, I've been playing Full Metal Furies um, hey. by, by Cellador Games. Uh, the guys who made um, Rogue Legacy, one of my favorite games of all time. And uh, Full Metal Furies is fantastic. There'll be a review coming for that soon. But yeah, spoilers, it's a great freaking game. Hard as, excuse my language, but balls. It's hard as balls. It's a really hard game. <laughs> so this is the one where each... Does each character have a different ability and you switch between it, them? It's basically kind of standard brawler. You know, Streets of Rage, um, a little bit of... Uh, uh, what was that other game I was thinking of? It's kind of Golden Axe. A lot of these other brawler games, you have like four characters that each have unique abilities. But they've kind of thrown in a lot of... Uh, a little bit of the, the upgrading system that they had from Rogue Legacy. So each character can be upgraded with different kinds of equipment. And they also can be upgrade their stats. And you're always kind of making progress. Even if you suck and like get destroyed like me and my wife did a hundred times, you're still, still earning gold, so you're still able to upgrade your character and eventually overcome any obstacle. But it's really, it's a really very well-made game so far. Cool. Aside from that, I'm also playing uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, which I have many opinions about, especially the intro, which is <laughs> just utter crap freaking five hours just to get the title shot. I don't understand what happened. Also, another thing about Assassin's Creed Origins that's driving me nuts is that they kind of threw out a lot of the um, the like the history and like the learning part of the game, which is something that I kind of enjoyed about Assassin's Creed games. They had those, you know, those little things that, I mean, a lot of people didn't read them, I'm sure, but I did sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm curious about the history of this one building or this yeah. particular character. And they got rid of all that, and it's not there anymore, and I'm kind of sad about that. <laughs> That's it. That's <laughs> so, you said five hours to get the intro screen. Yes. Were you, were you like, going off on tangents? Were you, well, like... Well, no, okay. So, the game literally starts you off, you have, like, this one scene where you stare intently at the pharaoh, and then the game just literally drops you off into the middle of the open world without explanation without any kind of exposition and it's like go and you're like well okay and you just go around this bunch of stupid side quests oh that's stupid i mean you know they, it's an open world game so there's 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 busy work like every other open world game and it doesn't really explain anything to you until you kill your first you know major target if you've played assassin's creed you know what i'm talking about your first you know your first assassination and then it kind of opens up to what happened and then it like shows you the future finally, and who's actually in the animus and all that stuff. But after doing all those like those bullcrap side quests and all that stuff, that's like three or four hours. So for those first three four hours, you're completely clueless as to what the hell is going on or why, and it was just very, very strange decision on. Ubisoft's part to do it like that. I know the game's been out for a while, and I mean, I'm not going to review it, but it's just, I just got to experience it, and I'm like, uh, what? You know, so that, it's, it's throwing me off ever since. That seems As a bit a, odd, because with Far Cry, the previous ones, and with uh, The Division, and with Ghost Recon, although they are all structurally open, they all start guided. Right, yeah. And, you know, I, I get that they wanted to kind of just, like, 
they wanted to reveal it to you. They wanted to like open the petals of a flower and you'd be amazed. But it's very hard to do that, I think, in an open world game because I spent my time mucking about just screwing around. <laughs> and then it kind of took away the mystery of all that stuff. I don't know. It was very strange. But I did want to mention one thing about Dynasty Warriors 9, because I know you said you are playing that as well. I saw this very interesting video of a guy who decided to walk from one side of the game to the other side. Oh. It took them an hour, like almost two hours, to actually just walk across from one side of the game to the other. I'm not going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to take the long route then. No. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm going to be on a horse. <laughs> I'm just or, laughing. Or something. I'm, I'm definitely not walking across things. I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, once again, I, I don't know how much I can really say. I guess I'll just be vague. Uh, the new combat system, the context-sensitive stuff, is really cool. And it, it feels like they've been trying to get combat right for a long time. And it's not felt as good as this. This has... This has a kind of uh, well, I mean, it's Saturday still a morning hack and cartoons. Slash. Sorry, it's still a hack and slash, right? I mean, it's Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But what it is is if you're in the air and you press an attack, or if an enemy's in the air and you press an attack, rather than just in all of the previous ones, you press attack. Your character just attacks in a zone in front of them. You press yeah. attack again, they attack again in front of the zone in front of them. And if at some point in this string of one to five normal attacks, you press the Y button, then you do a different type of special attack. Well, right. now all of those are context sensitive. So if an enemy's knocked down or an enemy's knocked up or an enemy's whatever, you will move to match them. So if you knock someone into the air, you can jump into the air and actually juggle them in the air and the attacks will change. And then you can dive downwards into another group of people. All of the attacks are... are, are uh, context sensitive, I suppose. That's 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 very interesting. It sounds very much like the uh, the combat system in uh, a game called Dream Drop Distance, which is one of the Kingdom Hearts games. Oh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> I well, wouldn't know anything about that. Well, now it's you very do. similar. Yeah, it is. It's very similar. Kingdom Hearts is all context based, pretty much. Yeah. I, 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 so I, you, what you need to do is, is play it. them. You've got a <laughs> yeah. PS, you've got a PS4 now, Dan, which means you can get the 1.5, 2.5, and 2.8 collector's edition with all the games up, two, up to now. Don't forget about 2.9.5.4. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or three six five slash two slash. No, what, divided by yeah, divided by on, seven. That's on one of the th no on PS4. There's now a collection which pretty much has all the games up until three. In Maybe one thing. So you need to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to sound like a spoiled brat, but maybe if I get sent a review key for it, I will. Oh. <laughs> yes. Square, Square, oh Enix. Square Enix sending us a key. Very yeah. very unlikely, I would have thought. Well. Well, it's, we've got Dynasty Warriors, Tecmo, so. Yep. Tecmo Koi did, and, you know, we've had loads of focus, focus stuff and THQ stuff, so. It's all know. good. We're getting there, we're getting there then. Yeah, we're getting there, we're getting there. That's it. 
Yeah, it's not really my scene, the big publisher stuff, to be honest right, with so you. I like oh, little no. indie games. But, uh, yes, no, it's, it's very good. Uh, and I've, I've enjoyed what I've played so far of, of Dynasty Warriors. And I love the fact that I've changed the map to be open world. And I think that Bladestorm did a lot right that should have been brought on board earlier. Uh, and I do feel with the open world that it's, much more like Bladestorm than the Dynasty Warrior games that I kind of grew up knowing and loving. Uh, and I, I don't think it was a mistake. I, I think this is a really good step forward for the series. And it's really weird that they're now on what is a because it's essentially the Musu series, isn't it? They're now on Musu, Musu game 84, 85? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. 273? Yeah, because nine thousand and forty-five. Because yeah, the Din- Dynasty Warriors games are a very weird numbering, aren't they? Obviously, you're playing number nine, but there's so many other offshoots and things. Well, yeah, and they yeah. do they do empires, and then they do like the uh, I can't remember what it's called now. They do the equivalent of Capcom's Super Street Fighter edition. Extreme, I think. Is yeah. yeah, Extreme. Extreme that's it. Yeah, and Legends or Extreme Legends, and then obviously they yep. did Samurai Warriors as well. Yeah. Uh, and they did what was the two where they the the two worlds fused and they were up against demons instead. They did that. I know. There's, I mean, there's this, there's another game series that does a very similar thing where the numbered ones have got lots of offshoots, and that's this series called Kingdom Hearts, Dan. <laughs> and, uh... I wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know anything about that. Should but, we explain that or just? But what's quite interesting about obviously the Musu series is that. Some of the games, they take people from completely different settings and they put them together, like the Samurai series and the Dynasty Warriors series. Yeah. I think that's quite You see, there, there's this other thing where they take Disney characters and they put them together with Final Fantasy oh, characters. And uh, it's called Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh, oh I, I, I wouldn't know anything. I wouldn't know anything about that. Just to give context, Dan's not played a Kingdom Hearts game and he's a bad, bad person for that. So well, Dynasty Warriors is because... Dynasty Warriors is brilliant because there's loads of different weapons as well. So you can fight people with like giant axes and giant swords and big, great big balls on sticks. And someone has a fan and there's magic and stuff. It's very cool. Whoa, Kingdom Hearts has keys. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. Anyway, let's get on before you say something that you're not allowed because of the embargo, Dan. Yes, that's well, true. We might already have to edit out a lot of this podcast. No, I should think that's fine. Nah, yeah, I I think that's most fine. that's kind of just basic, kind of common sense. Yeah. yeah. So, little fact I read earlier that I, that I thought was quite interesting: the Switch, at this point in its lifetime, has three three times as many games as the Wii U, and they're better. And this comes well, from a, a, an article that I read, and they, he actually. He, he, took, he got t- like hundreds of thousands of reviews and, and collaborated all this data and it's got almost three times as many games and he's actually looked at the review scores of all the games and stuff and they are generally a lot better than the Wii U was as well which is that amazing sounds, that sounds like a lot of research that didn't really need to be done <laughs> well yeah it is, it is kind of it's kind of a, a yeah, <laughs> yeah. At the moment but it's, it's still kind of cool yeah no it has had a lot of I mean, I think the important thing is, and I know that you always jump to the defense of the eShop, but I think the important thing is that established titles from other platforms 
have gone over to the Switch and done well there. Yeah. In my opinion, that has massively helped because the Wii didn't have that. You know, it had probably, what, eight, ten games when it first launched that came over from other platforms and got ported over. The Wii U had yeah. Mass Effect that had already launched on other platforms. Yeah, and most of those games that came over were crippled versions as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas with the Switch... These indie games, because indie is obviously the new call, and we really yeah. should find a better term than indie games, no, but whatever. Nindies, Dan. Nindies. <laughs> you, oh. can't, you can't rebrand them because they're on a platform. <laughs> yes, Otherwise, we'd have to start calling them Mindies and Cindies, don't we? <laughs> no, Pindies. Pindies. <laughs> oh, what for PlayStation Indies, yeah. 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 No, they'd be Vindies. Vindies and... Uh, Wait, why did I say Cindy's? Oh, <laughs> S for Sony, yeah. yeah. Cindy's. Cindy's, Mindy's, and Nindy's. <laughs> and of course, Pindy's on the PC. Yes. Yes. But yeah, you can't just call them. You can't just. And the, you would can't it be, just... go back to Indies on the Xbox because the X is silent? <laughs> then it's just a box, isn't it? <laughs> Zindy's. Uh... I'm worried about the Switch, and here's why. Um, as more and more games are being added to the Switch, I'm worried that it, the market's going to get flooded with so many games. I think I'm, I'm, here's what I'm saying. I'm worried that the same thing's going to happen to the Switch that's happened to every digital store. It's just no, going to get I... flooded and flooded and flooded. You don't think so? No, I completely agree. Oh, think... <laughs> why did I... you say no? <laughs> Because oh, I was going to say, no, I completely agree. There you go. But no, I, I, I do agree. Because, I mean, there's something like 15 games being released every week on the, on the Switch right. shop. And that's getting dangerously close to Steam levels of amount of crap that's coming out on it. And now, it, it, it is still highly curated. but Is it? Apparently so. Uh, I, I don't know the complete ins and outs of it, but apparently it is, it is heavily curated what they want on there. Um, but I've, I'm guessing Nintendo have just gone, we're getting all this stuff now, we can get all this stuff. And it's kind of like, you know, just because just, you can, Right, yeah, you. they've opened the floodgates. Yeah. I think that there will be a point, it, there will be an important milestone in the Nindies saga wherein a game has received, an indie game, has received a bunch of modifications to make it super cool on the Switch, and it will land, and it will have a poor reception. And that will be a big milestone in the Nindies thing, because at the minute we're still hearing stories of people going, oh my god, we've quadrupled our lifetime sales in, in our launch week on the Switch. Uh, there'll There'll be a point where... Not everybody that's launching does well. There'll be a point where most of the people that aren't launching then don't do well, and then there'll be a point where people launch to you know minimal sales as it slows down. And these are these are things that at the minute people don't seem to be considering. It's still seen as it's still a gold rush, you know. So what you're saying is the Nindies bubble will pop eventually. Yes. Uh, and then I think, and that probably ties into what you two are saying about the the quant- 
quantity of stuff that's going on there. And then it will be down to Nintendo to make their storefront a lot more browsable and sortable. And your friends have got this, and we recommend that. Uh, and it will come down to curation again. Yeah, see, I, th- I think that I think that is the point. I think that it's going to get to a point where Nintendo will step in. Yeah, and and they're going to have to start saying no. But I mean, it's it's kind of a thing that because you know, this is this is Nintendo being all we're all new. We're not the old Nintendo anymore. We're new Nintendo. We all, we love all this stuff, and we're just going to get as much stuff out as we possibly can. But yeah, at some point they're going to have to stop and say no. We can't keep this going. Um, and they kind of made the rod for their own back a bit because I don't know if you remember, but I remember telling you the 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 dev kits for the Switch were literally fifty pound more or fifty dollars more than a retail Switch. Yeah. They were cheap as chips. Any developer could get their hands on one as well. You know, it wasn't a massive massive process to try and get one of these things. You could literally just go to Nintendo, and go, "Can I have one?" And they go, "Yeah, yeah." They were just giving them out like candy. I don't think I don't think there's a problem with the amount that's going on there. I just think that it's going to change how people develop for it in future. And I hope that Nintendo don't get stricter on what they put on there. I hope that Nintendo do what Valve haven't done and what Microsoft Xbox Live Indie Games Store didn't do and what PlayStation Minis didn't do, which is make a storefront that's actually navigatable and... Yeah. and and find a way to quickly expose people to new things fast and effectively. That's, and fi- that is a slight problem, because, I mean, the eShop's a, a bit simplistic at the moment. It's yeah. just literally yeah. a list. There's, I mean, I mean, you there's a the list. You can, you can pull down a drop down and go, to, you know, this genre and these price points and stuff. There are certain filters that you can do, but generally speaking, it's just one list. And it's going to become a problem. Genres hey. are absolutely brilliant. Until all of a sudden you've got two hundred adventure games. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's what I mean. The store is going to have to evolve before it yeah. gets way too big. Because at the moment, when you first go to the shop on that front page, you see about fifteen games, and that means literally that changes every week the entire page because yep. another fifteen games come out. So it is kind of a thing that you know, if you want to be able to see and see what's coming out, you need to go on there at least once a week and just go, okay, I've seen all them, not really interested in them. That's fine, move on. It's kind of thing you have to stay on top of it to see the games that come out, because they also don't seem to go out of their way to advertise what's coming out either. No, they you know they'll advertise a couple of big ones that are coming out, but you know it's not like you know with, with the Xbox they used to have the, the the every week or every month they put out that thing like these games are coming out, these come out today. Yep, you know they used to put out the releases. Nintendo don't seem to do that, and I think they do need to do that. And I think, they used to do it for their their own stuff. They yeah, used to get notifications. And that's the thing. I th- I think you know pe- people are, get, are kind of getting used to Nintendo with their Nintendo directs and things like that. If they just put together one video every week with just fifteen trailers in one video, or even just fifteen individual trailers just on that day, bang onto the YouTube channel, yeah, that'd be fine. They could just get away with that, and it would it would work because they'd have in, then everyone just go, oh, Nintendo's updated, all oh, it those games, and I can see what they're doing. That looks good. I'm going to buy that. And that'd so, work. They just need to be able to get the names out there and keep the advertising up and just go duh, 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 pumping it out. I agree. <laughs> it's definitely going to be a challenge, I think, because if you look at the history of Nintendo's storefronts, they haven't all been fantastic. So I think that's going to be a major hurdle for them to get, o- get over. I mean, in general, it's still 
a challenge for people who've been doing it for a long time, like Valve and PlayStation and Xbox. They've had sore fronts for ages, and they still don't know how to get their crap together. So it'll be very interesting to see what Nintendo tries to do, but it's it's going to be it's going to be a sticking point. At some point, there's there's going to be a bubble pop. There's going to be a, there's definitely going to be issues that arise from it, and I'm curious to see how they're going to combat that, how they're going to deal with that. Actually, George, something we could do, because this, this relates to this as well, and uh, we, me and me and Dan and Toby discussed this uh, when you was on your hiatus. So, obviously, Dan go, and Dan and the lads go to a lot of the events in the UK and see loads of indies and stuff, and, we, and they found a lot of uh, developers, a lot of the time, they develop games that literally cannot be bought home because they've made custom control systems and... Yeah. And with things like this, and what we were discussing was this was we were discussing this when the Labo got um, announced. Mm. Is that what's you know now that Nintendo have announced the Labos, what's stopping indies looking at this and go, that's interesting. I could now bring this unique control system home, and potentially very very cheaply, to now get these games into more people's hands and just put the, just the ones that, are, that get to these events. I mean. The problem with that is, I think, is it's the same thing with all you know those peripheral type of games, like the ones that came with the, like the the Wii had the light stick and all that kind of stuff. I think it's just it's a lot of clutter. I don't know. I think that's going to have the exact same. I mean, even if it is cheaper, it's still a matter of well, now I have to keep track of this you know piece of cardboard laying on the side of my room. Yeah, but, you know? but also also what what we were discussing is that. Nintendo have shown that they can make literally a fully functioning piano from cardboard. Indies don't have to stop at cardboard. They could go, well, okay, it can be done in cardboard, but we're going to make this plastic peripheral. Or a yeah, metal we're peripheral. Make a, we're going to make a metal one. You can buy it from our website for Yeah, for, or even, uh, $5 even they're, and they're, they're indies. We've put the plans up on Shapeways. Get one printed. Yeah. You know, they could do anything. Nintendo have just basically shown that this stuff is possible with the lowest and cheapest possible material you could get, but there's nothing stopping other people using better materials. It, it, it's an interesting idea, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think it's, it's it has a lot of potential, but I think maybe because I have I have a little bit more of a pessimistic view on it because I think people are kind of lazy, and I think at the end of the day... If you had to choose between something like Nintendo Labo or just pulling something out of a box and immediately being able to play it, I think 90% of the time people are going to still pick that one thing they just want to pull out of a box and just play rather than have to construct first and then play. Uh, yeah, but, no, but that's what I'm saying. You wouldn't necessarily have to construct it. Say, for example, say Harmonix decided to do another Guitar Hero game, but instead of building right. all the technology into the guitar, they release a, an empty plastic shell, basically, that you just stick a Joy-Con in. So it's cheap because there's no real technology in there. The buttons just, you know, make little reflectors show up that the camera picks up. All the technology's still in the controller. Or, you know, like, I don't know, what was that game that came out years ago? Like Pop and Music, which was a music arcade game that just had nine buttons. If they just release a box with nine buttons on it that press little tabs down and you put the Joy-Con in the back of it. That's what I'm saying. It's not necessarily that they'd have to construct it, but they could, they could make peripheral games like Guitar Hero, DJ... Have you got any dung? Whatever, but make the peripherals Throw cheap because there's no actual technology in it. That'd be cool. If you can get back there. I mean, yeah, you, it you all depends on how the Labo does, doesn't it? Sling. Yeah, very true. 
That's what, I, mean, well, I think it, it, anyway. it, yeah, if you it's an interesting hypothesis to see what you don't have your indie out, people could technically do with it. Because like that's obviously it, in the indie space is where all the real and then you crazy innovation is. By that's true. I suppose it's like a bit of a pipe. It's, it's, it's almost like a wish list. It's kind of, I wish indies would take this technology on and make some crazy ass stuff with it. Because I just like to see it. Yeah, and I think that over the next year, depending on how Labo does, if indies are going to start paying attention more to that kind of concept, for sure. I think it would be kind of a fool not to, because you know that's definitely an area that no one's exploring right now. And if somebody did, they could really capitalize on it. Yeah. Indeed. So I think that just about wraps up this episode of Big Boss Babble. So, let's... Goodbye uh, rather, from me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go on, George. It was a rather interesting one, I was going to say, especially seeing how we didn't have anything to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> we got there in the end. That's the point. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, that's a goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Dan. Bye. And a goodbye from George. Bye-bye. See you next time. <laughs>